0: are his ambassadors and that is really Paul's focus uh, as we continue to move through uh, his letter to the Corinthian church that we are to be those as followers of Christ who represent him well so if you've got your Bibles with you this morning we're going to jump right in we're moving verse by verse through Paul's letter to the Corinthians we're in chapter 6 Today, So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're continuing our body language series um, as we walk through this letter from Paul uh, to the Corinthian church. And the overarching theme, uh, if you'll remember, uh, thus far is Paul's challenge to the Corinthian church, Paul's challenge to us as his church today. To conform more to the likeness of the cross, to the likeness of Christ, than we conform to the likeness of culture. The Corinthian church was surrounded uh, by a culture that really looked nothing like Christ. And um, we are very much surrounded by the same today. And some 2,000 years later, after Paul wrote this letter, uh, the challenge remains the same uh, in his church today. Uh, Romans twelve two, 2, uh, Paul says this. He says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't be pressed into the world's mold, in other words, but be transformed, be changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And then he says, when you do that, you will then be able to test and approve what God's will is. How many of you want to know what God's will is for your life, what God's plan, what God's purpose? Yeah, now Paul tells us how to get there. Don't be pressed into the world's mold any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's really what we're doing Right now, and as you guys come together in your small groups together, you continue to study and go deeper into God's Word, that's how we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And he says when we do that, we will begin to understand God's plan, God's purpose, and God's will. Uh, When we press more into the mold of Christ than we do into the mold of culture. We can see more clearly the path that God has for us. The closer we get to Jesus, the more clearly we discern God's will and God's way for our lives. That's the big idea that Paul is conveying to the church. Jesus' way is not the world's way. We're to be in the world, but not what? Of the world. That's all, really, I mean, in a nutshell, that's what we've been talking about for these first five weeks. And as we move into chapter six, Paul is challenging the Corinthians and he's challenging us to be countercultural, essentially, to be set apart as God's people to live a different kind of life. So let me ask you something as we move into the message. This morning, as a follower of Christ, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with with not blending in with the world around you, being set apart for the special purpose that God has for you? Let me ask you something. If you were on trial today and you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or is the Christ within you so camouflaged by the culture that he can't be seen? That's the problem that Paul was addressing in Corinth. And that's the problem today. That's what we have to push back on. That's what we have to fight against as believers is not to get caught in the current of culture and look just like the world around us, but to be set apart In Christ. For a different purpose. Paul's challenge in these first two chapters is. And can really be boiled down to two words for us. And that is be different. Church. Be different. When it comes to the abundant life that Jesus promises. If you're blending in more than you're sticking out. Then you're losing out. The word holy. In the New Testament this is the Greek word hagias. It literally means to be set apart for a special purpose, to be different. And that special purpose that we're set apart for as followers of Jesus Christ is to honor and glorify God with our lives. And in chapter six, Paul continues to get specific with the Corinthians about some things that they were doing that were camouflaging Christ in their lives. That were causing them to blend into the culture around them. He turns their attention immediately to two things that were going on in the Corinthian church that were undercutting their witness to the world. Number one, they were suing each other. They were taking each other to court. Church members were over trivial things most of the time. And the second thing that he addresses in chapter 6 is this. They were having unbridled sex outside the bounds of marriage. Evidently the prostitutes from the temple of Aphrodite, which we've talked about this cultural pressure that they sensed in Corinth, uh, were enticing the men of the church. You know, this week as I dug into this chapter, I'm a very linear thinker, I don't know if you guys have figured that out yet, but um, I'm a very linear thinker, so I like things to tie together and and, and for a theme to, to be clear and present and... and Typically in the Scripture, that's the case. You, you can see and you can pull out a theme and what the writer and what God, through His Holy Spirit, is trying to convey through that passage. And over the years, and I've preached through this book a couple times, and over the years, you know, it, it's, been, it's been difficult, especially at this point in the book, to figure out what what is Paul doing, I mean in Chapter five, he was talking about sexual immorality and that sexual immorality that was going on in the church. We jump into chapter six and and he shifts gears and he 's talking about lawsuits in the church and then at the end of chapter six, he comes back to sexual immorality in the church i 'm like paul man you 're killing me here. What is going on you know i 'm a linear thinker, and he 's just going back and forth and back and forth and as I dug into this chapter. This week, I'm asking myself, what is the connection here? What is Paul doing? What does God want us to know through this? How does all of it tie together? How does it fit together? Is this just Paul picking random things from the letters that he's received from what's going on in the Corinthian church? Is is he just picking things to address here? Or is there something bigger? Is there a greater theme that we need to get a hold of in these first six chapters? And then as I finished reading... Chapter 6, this overarching principle, I believe, emerged, a principle that I had never seen before in this book. And it's a thread that I believe runs through all six of these first chapters. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to begin at the end of this chapter and work our way backwards. So look with me, if you would, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 18. This may be one of the more familiar passages uh, to you in this book, but it reads like this. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality, and then he says, all other sins a man commits are outside his body. Don't miss that. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. You know, we typically say, yeah, hey, all sins are equal. No sin is greater than another. We hear that all the time. You know, all sins are an affront to God. But here, clearly, Paul puts sexual sin in a different category. Okay? He says flee from it because all other sins that we commit are outside the body. But when we commit sexual sins, we're sinning against our own body. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple, it's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit? Don't miss the gravity of that. God lives in you if you're a follower of Christ. God dwells in me as a follower of Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us, whom we have received from God. You're not your own. He says, you've been bought at a price. What was that price? The very life of Christ. The cross. And he said, and because of that, the Holy Spirit now dwells within you as a follower of Christ. God has taken up residence in your life, in your body, literally. Therefore, he says, honor God. Honor God with your body. And what I think we see here... A principle that rises to the surface, I think, that connects all that Paul has conveyed thus far in Corinthians. And that principle is this. Bear with me. What happens in the body carries more weight than what happens outside the body. Are you with me? Remember what we've talked about. What happens in the body carries more weight than what happens outside the body. Has Paul been focusing the, these first five chapters on what's going on around the church in Corinth and pointing fingers at that? Absolutely not. Paul's been talking about what's going on where? Inside the body. Inside the body Christ. And I believe when I say what happens in the body carries more weight than what happens outside the body, that that applies to our own bodies, fleeing sexual sin, and it applies to the body of Christ, the church, when it comes to how we interact together as God's people. What happens in this body, how we interact together, as God's children, carries more weight than what's going on around us in the world, the chaos and confusion that consistently is going on around us. God is concerned about what's happening here and how we interact with one another. That's why Paul said in chapter 5 that as believers, we're not to judge those where? Outside the church We're to judge those inside the church. What happens in the body carries more weight than what happens outside the body. And so Paul's challenge here is for us as believers, first and foremost, to handle our own business inside the church, inside the body, because that carries more weight when it comes to our witness then what's happening in the culture around us? Does this make sense? I was concerned it wouldn't. I was concerned maybe I just, you know, I was this was making a lot of sense to me, but it wouldn't convey to you guys. But I, this tied these six chapters together for me. Remember what Jesus said. He said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you what? Love one another. By this the watching, not necessarily you getting all out there amongst them but the watching world will know you're my disciples if you show them that if you love one another within the body and the church has struggled with that through the centuries and that's why so many just stiff arm the church because it's like I don't need that I got enough of that in my life already I don't need To become part of more chaos and confusion. Well the Corinthians weren't loving each other well. They were rating, if you remember, they were ranking their leaders, they were picking their favorites, and that was dividing the church. They were celebrating the worst kind of sexual sin. We talked about that last week, going on within the church. And then here in chapter 6, Paul says they're dragging each other into the Roman courts. They're dragging each other with petty lawsuits into secular court, and they're airing their dirty laundry in front of everybody. Believers. In verse 1, we go back to the beginning. Paul says, If any of you has a dispute with another, talking about those in the church, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? He said, Man, resolve your disputes among one another within the body of Christ. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? He's talking about, you know, God telling us and being clear that one day we will judge even angels. Do we not have the capacity to judge petty disputes among one another? He says, and if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters... "...appoint as judges even men of little account in the church." He said, man, if you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, you have the capacity to judge and discern these things. He says, I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers?" So they were were dragging one another into secular court over silly things. And he's saying, can you guys not handle this? Handle your own business in-house. He says, but instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. He's saying... The fact that you're taking each other to court as Christians, he says, it shows me you don't get it. Why not rather be wronged? Why not just let it go? I mean, why not rather be cheated? Well, no, I've got my rights. No, he did me wrong. I, I, tit for tat. Is it tit for tat or is it turn the other cheek? That's what Paul's saying here. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. So they're suing each other in the church, just like the world around them was doing. Paul says, be different. Be different. Don't do it the way the world does it. And Paul is challenging us here as believers to settle our disputes in house and not air our dirty laundry for unbelievers to see a few reasons why i uh, as I was walking through this, I thought about some of the petty lawsuits that uh, you see coming up from time to time, and so it kind of you know justifies what Paul is saying here. I want to share a couple of them with you in two thousand and five. Speaking of the secular justice system, uh, an administrative law judge in Washington, D.C., took a pair of pants to a local dry cleaner for alterations, dropped his britches off there. And when the judge went to retrieve his pants a few days later, he discovered they weren't there. Has anybody ever experienced that? I mean, you, you know, I have. Yeah. Well, the business owners, a couple named the Chung's, had inadvertently sent them to the wrong location. They had multiple locations, it happens. The pants were soon located, but the judge claimed they weren't his, and he refused to accept them. And then the judge sued the Chung's for $67 million. (laughs) He claimed that they had failed to honor a satisfaction-guaranteed sign that was displayed. This is a judge. He also contended that in failing to honor the satisfaction guarantee that the Chungs had committed seven separate violations to Washington, D.C.'s Consumer Protection Law. The D.C. court disagreed and ruled in the Chugs' favor. <laughs> Paul's saying, look at this stuff. Don't, don't be part of that. The one that started it all. Do y'all remember the coffee McDonald's thing? I didn't know the details of this. In February of 1992, Stella Lineback ordered a cup of coffee Uh, to go from McDonald's, I guess maybe in the drive-thru. Lineback was sitting in the passenger seat of her nephew's car, which was pulled over so that she could put some sugar in her coffee. While removing the cup's lid, she spilled her hot coffee. She spilled her hot coffee, burning her legs. It was determined that she suffered third-degree burns over 6% of her body. Originally, she sought $20,000 in damages. McDonald's refused to settle out of court. However, they should have. She ultimately was awarded $200,000 in compensatory damages, which was reduced to $160,000 because she was found to be 20% at fault. But she was also awarded $2.7 million in punitive damages. She spilled her own hot coffee in her lap. And I guess she sued because the, now there's warnings, you know. Uh, In September of 1988, two Akron, Ohio-based carpet layers uh, were severely burned when a a three-and-a-half-gallon container of carpet adhesive, adhesive ignited when the hot water heater it was sitting next to kicked on. Both men felt the warning label on the back of the can was insufficient. Words like flammable and keep away from heat didn't prepare them for the explosion. They filed suit against the adhesive manufacturers. A jury agreed, and the men were awarded $8 million for their troubles. <laughs> so essentially Paul is, is saying, you know, don't, don't get in that mix, guys. When it comes to the church, when it comes to believers, disputes that we can settle, settle them in-house, don't move out and beyond the realm of believers to allow unbelievers to settle these disputes the roman courts in in this particular day in the first century were notorious for corruption, they were no to not so different than perhaps this day. Um, they were also notorious for favoring the higher class and the wealthier. The, the laws were actually written in favor of the higher class. And the wealthier in in the in the society, and so Paul says, "Listen, guys, handle your own business in the church. Don't air your dirty laundry for all the world to see. Appoint wise people. Do you think we could do this? Do you, I mean, do you think we could do this? Appoint wise people in the church to be arbiters of these disputes." instead of placing yourself at the mercy of a secular judge or a secular jury. Obviously, we couldn't do it with everything, but organizations today, like the Christian Legal Society, that's, that's what they do. They have established arbitration processes where believers, when believers have disputes between one another, uh, they come together and they facilitate those disputes Among believers. Again. What's the purpose of this? What happens in the body. Carries more weight. Than what happens. Outside the body. Because it's all about our witness. To a watching world. Paul says. Be different church. Handle your business. In house. And then in verse 9. He says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. (laughs) You're like, wait a minute, let me get through that list again. We all need to go through that list again. Paul says that because of this. He he says to the Corinthians, he says to us, and that's what some of you were. That's what some of you were. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says there's a moral theme running through all of this. He says, don't be deceived, folks. Those who fill up their flesh and live this way consistently will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But he says to the believing church, that's not you. That may have been who you were, but that's not who you are now. You've been fully forgiven. You've been set apart. You've been declared not guilty before God because Jesus has taken away your sin and taken it upon Himself. And He says, essentially, so act like who you are. Be different, church, and act like who you truly are. Do you remember how He opened this letter? That's how He opened it. He was telling us who we are in Christ and the difference that that makes. And He's reiterating it here. Be different. Be who you are in Christ. Second Corinthians 5, Paul writes this. He said, God made Him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us that we might be what? The righteousness of God. He says, be who you are, church. And then he shifts gears here to address sexual sin in the church yet again. And he's using some of the slogans that evidently were popular in Corinth at the time. Slogans that the Corinthians were using, even in the church, to justify their behavior. But Paul takes those same slogans and he balances them with the truth. And I believe both of these phrases, as we get into them, will give us insight into the appetite for sin that was going on in the Corinthian church. In verse 12, Paul says this, Everything is permissible for me. Evidently, that was the slogan. That's what they were saying. I'm free in Christ. I'm forgiven. Everything is permissible for me. I can do anything I want because I'm forgiven. And then Paul adds this, Yeah, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, Paul adds, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then the second slogan, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. But God will destroy them both, Paul says. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? He says, never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with Him in the Spirit. Again, Paul reminds us that how we view and what we do with our bodies is entirely different as believers because our bodies are now the dwelling place of God. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. We are the dwelling place of God. And when we turn away from our sin and when we invite Jesus in, the Spirit of God takes residence in us. And that's why sexual sin is in a category all its own in Scripture. All sin is an affront to a holy God. But just like the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, there is something special about the dwelling place of God. And there is a heightened consequence... When that dwelling place is violated. Which takes us back to where we started. What happens in the body. Both individually. And corporately. Carries more weight. Than what happens outside the body. And God is calling us to be different. To be different. Individually. And to be different together as the church. To be those whom He has set apart. And the way we interact within the body of Christ. And what we do with our bodies. Both send messages about the transforming power of Jesus to a watching world. Therefore, honor God with your body. And honor God with His body. Paul's challenge i leave with you today. Be different, church. Act like who you truly are. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that as Your children, just as we view our children, Lord, You view us special. Lord, and you have set us apart. You have a special purpose and a special plan for us. And, and, and Lord, that is to be your ambassador, to be your representative this side of heaven. Lord, it's a difficult thing in the midst of the culture we live, not to be caught up in the current of culture. It's so easy to, to have Christ camouflaged within us. Lord, I pray for each person here this morning. Lord, for that one particular area that comes to mind in their life and in my life that we need to intentionally get to work on, to be different, to be set apart from the world, to not blend in. Lord, I pray that you would raise to our attention Those areas where we're not representing you well. Those areas where we as the body of Christ are not being a good witness. Those areas where we individually, Lord, are not standing for you in the culture we live in. Lord, we can't do that in and of our own strength. It's only in and through the spirit that dwells within us that we're capable of representing you well. And we pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen.